Good morning, everybody. I'm Eric Kapitulik. I'm the CEO and founder of the program. As many of you are aware, the program is a team building and leadership development company. We have one mission, develop better leaders and create more cohesive teams. One of those teams and coaches that I personally have had the pleasure of working with and a coach that really a great privilege of my life is developing a relationship with him to now not only be called a client of ours, but uh, one of my best friends is joining us this morning in Coach Scott Frost. Let me share a little bit about Coach Frost's background because I know he won't, I know he won't say it himself. Coach Frost, uh, Coach Frost is a graduate uh, of Wood River High School in Wood River, Nebraska. He was Nebraska's starting quarterback in 1996 when he won the 1996 Big 12 Offensive Newcomer of the Year Award. In 1997, he was jo the, a Johnny Unitas Award finalist and an academic All-American. Nebraska that season went 13-0 and captured the program's fifth national title with him being the starting quarterback of that team. Scott was then selected in the third round of the 1998 NFL draft and played six, six seasons as an NFL safety. That's as a player. That's as a student athlete, an athlete. Now, as a coach, he's won seven conference championships in 13 seasons as a full-time coach. Let me say that again. He's won seven conference championships in 13 seasons as a full-time coach. During that time, teams that he has been a coach of have won 131 games, averaging more than 10 wins per season. In addition to coaching in two national championship games, Coach Frost has coached in five other New Year's Six Bowl games in the last decade. He's had stops along the way at Nebraska as a defensive graduate assistant, Kansas State graduate assistant, Northern Iowa as an assistant coach for linebackers and as their co-defensive coordinator. He was Oregon, the University of Oregon's wide receiver coach and offensive coordinator. He, of course, as many of the listeners are aware, was the head coach at UCF, the University of Central Florida, and now, of course, is the head coach of the University of Nebraska Cornhuskers. Few of his coaching accolades include the Consensus National Coach of the Year, AFC Coach of the Year, Bear Bryant Coach of the Year, Home Depot Coach of the Year, Eddie Robinson Coach of the Year, FCA Coach of the Year, AP Coach of the Year. He was the unanimous selection as the American Athletic Coach, I'm sorry, American Athletic Conference Coach of the Year. He was a Broyles Award finalist given that award is given to the best assistant coach in college football while coaching at Oregon. He led UCF to a 13-0 record in 2017 when the Knights were the nation's only undefeated team. He's the head coach of the greatest two-year turnaround in college football history, going 0-12 to 13-0. And what I found out today while researching for this interview He's one of two people in college football history to post a 13-0 season as both a player and a head coach. Most importantly, Coach Frost is the husband 
to Ashley and the father, to RJ, his son, and Allie, his daughter. Coach Frost, that took a while to talk about all your accomplishments, accolades, and who you are. I certainly appreciate you being my friend. I certainly appreciate joining us here this morning. Coach, appreciate let you, me. Cappy. Yeah, you're a better friend to me than I am to you, and grateful to you. Oh, thanks, buddy. Hey, let me start right away with this because I talk about all of your playing career, all of your coaching career, and I end with husband to Ashley, father to RJ and, and Allie. Let me ask you a question as it pertains to your family. When I think about, when you think about, you know, Axel, my son, uh, you've yep. met him personally. Uh, tell me some advice as a father that I should give to my son, Axel. And when I watch you uh, raise an Axel, that's how I want to raise RJ. Um, it's amazing when you become a father, you learn that sacrifice is important. We all saw our parents or somebody in our lives sacrifice for us, but it's just amazing to me how the switch flips the minute you have children, how my needs aren't important anymore. My life's based on their needs. And, and that's really how the circle of life should be. And, and, we need more people around the country being willing to make that sacrifice and give anything of ourselves for other people. Yeah. Yeah. Coach, you mentioned your, your parents whom I've also had the, the privilege of meeting both at your wedding. And then basically uh, it seems like, I don't know if they're there for every single football practice, but at least every football practice that I've been to, your parents are on the sideline for it. Uh Talk about the impact that they've had on you, whether that be as an athlete, a coach, a parent. I mean, yeah, what's the impact they've had on you? Well, I am who I am because of my mom and dad, Cap. Um, and I think a lot of people would say the same thing. And my parents bent over backwards to try to give as much of themselves as they could uh, to have their two sons be successful. Um I've said this a lot, but my two biggest heroes in coaching are Coach Osborne and Tony Dungy. And both guys, since they've been done coaching, have devoted their lives to uh, fatherhood and mentoring. Coach Osborne through teammates, uh, Coach Dungy through All-Pro Dad. Um, when you listen to those two talk about the statistics and the likelihood of people being successful, staying out of trouble, graduating high school, staying off drugs, staying healthy, um, there's no question that statistically you're at greater risk of, of all those things. If you don't have two good parents at home, if you don't have a good father at home, um, I'm one of the lucky ones. Cause I did, I had a father that disciplined me, held me accountable, pushed me, motivated me. Um, mom as well. You know, she's a coach. I, I had to deal with mom and dad at home and at practice. Dad was the football coach. Mom was an assistant football coach. At my high school, mom was my track coach, uh, but their influence on my life is the reason that, that I am where I am. And like I said, uh, two guys that I admire as much as anybody in this world that have spent the latter parts of their lives um, trying to create an environment in, the, in this country where, where more fathers are around, more parents are, are doing exactly what my parents did. Yeah. You, a funny story uh, for the listeners, uh, and I think I've shared this with you, Coach. A few years ago, 
Coach Frost's mom. He, he said that he she used to be a, a assistant football coach on at Wood River, and then and then was also the track your track coach. Well, she also is a great track athlete, and and I use that. I don't use the past tense of she was a great track athlete. No, she she is a great track athlete. She competed in the world. I want to get this right, Coach. It, it's the World Track and Field Games. Is that right? Yeah, the World Senior Games. Uh, I flew her over to Nice, France. I don't want to say how what age group she was in because that would be giving away her age. But uh, she got two firsts and a second in the – Shot put discus and javelin and broke the world record for age group in the jab. And when she had returned from that, I had seen her shortly thereafter. And I think I'm trying to be a nice person. So I go, God, congratulations, Mrs. Frost. That's awesome. Were you were you happy with that? 99.9% of the world would say, just from being just nice, would be. Oh, Eric, I'm, I'm very happy. Yes, thank you. Your mom gave me a look of such disdain of like, I can't believe my son is friends with you. I just told you I got second in one of those events. <laughs> so She got second can, in the shot put by like two centimeters. Uh, that doesn't surprise me. Growing up in my house, it was, it was do anything to win, win at all costs, compete against each other. And um and that made me better living in that environment. <laughs> Coach, let's talk about, uh, because I know so many in Nebraska fans are, are going to watch and listen to this afterwards. When you talk about that, what you were just saying about the, the in the environment that you grew up in, competition made you better. When you look at that from a coaching perspective, What's the balance of that, of, hey, I got to have, let's take starting quarterbacks. Hey, I've got a, a quarterback battle makes both quarterbacks, quarterback competition makes both quarterbacks better. And I just use quarterback because it's the, you know, highlight on the field, but it could be any position. But this quarterback competition makes both guys better. What's, what's your guidance as to, okay, is, is there a point where that competition starts to tear away at them? Or when do you stop that competition and just name somebody the, the starter at quarterback or any other position? What's your thoughts about that? My thoughts, honestly, are life is a competition. And a lot of people run from that. A lot of people hide from that. But everything we do in life is a competition. Um I don't want the competition to ever stop. I want there to be our kids to feel like they're going to compete in the classroom, on the field. Every day they go out as a competition. Uh, that only makes you better. You know, Cap, we live in a time when if you're not happy with the video game you're playing, just hit the reset button and start over. Um, more of us need to learn how to fight through things. Um, I, I spent – I came out of high school as a really highly recruited quarterback. I didn't play till my – fifth uh fourth year of college i ended up starting two years um having the the perseverance and uh, motivation to fight through challenges uh, makes you better in the end and uh, we try to create that competition everywhere with our players the, the group of players that i want on my team are, are guys that drive around in their cars with basketball and hoop shoes and golf clubs and a baseball mitt 
uh, in the back of their trunk uh, of football and cleats just in case any game breaks out. They're ready to go because they love competing. Uh, if we have a whole team of guys like that, we're going to be a better team. Can you can you develop that com- competitive edge? Can, can you develop it? Or do you think guys are born innately competitive? I, I'm sure some people are born more competitive than others. Um, but you can't get it unless you just compete and compete and compete. And part of that is not being afraid to lose. Um, yeah. I hate losing as much as anybody. I want guys that are going to fight to the ends not to lose. But at the end of the day, if the fear of losing cripples you, you'll never jump in the competition. Uh, the more you compete, the more you learn to accept it if you don't win and just work to get better. Um, but the more com- you compete, the, the more comfortable you get with that competition. And you're going to fight like heck not to lose. Uh, but you can't let it like you can't let it scare you, because if, if it does, you're never going to you're never going to jump into the competition and you're not going to be at your best. Yeah. Yeah. Scott, getting back to what you were just saying, and, and I'd be remiss if I didn't highlight it because you talked about you want your players competing in the classroom. I, I just saw that Nebraska football just set, set a record for the number of graduates who uh, graduated with distinction in the Big Ten as student athletes. So we did. Cool. We did. We also set the uh, GPA record for the football department a couple semesters in a row. Um, a lot of credit to that goes to our academic advisors, Dennis LeBlanc being the leader. Uh, but, you know, I'm proud of the type of kids that we're bringing into this program. And if you're going to compete in life after football, then making sure you're competing right now in the classroom is a big part of that. Yeah. Stay, staying on that, that idea of, of competition and the guys you're bringing in, because you know, people obviously can just track where Nebraska is and, and the guys that you are bringing in on Twitter and, and basically everywhere else. Right. Uh, but you mentioned earlier, Hey, I want guys who've got golf clubs in their car, a, a mitt, uh, you know, just in, uh, football and cleats, just in case a game breaks out so they can go and compete. When you are looking at high school players and, and, and on your own team right now, um, are there certain indicators that you look for to try to figure out, hey, this, this guy's a competitor? Yeah, there, there's questions we ask. Uh, we try to get to know kids as much as we can. Uh, obviously, sports has changed. Um, in a perfect world, I want only guys that play multiple sports that are competing year-round, that learn what they can learn from playing basketball, running track, or playing baseball. Um so I would prefer multi-sport athletes, but uh, you're when you're around kids uh, for even a short amount of time, you kind of learn what makes them tick. And uh, if a kid isn't self-motivated, it's going to be an exhausting process for a coach to always be that motivation. And, and usually a desire to compete and excel um, kind of shines through with a lot of the guys we recruit, and, and that's really what we're looking for. Yeah. Coach, you mentioned earlier, you talked about an ability to push through, to keep fighting. And when you were talking about the guys so you're looking go ahead. Yeah, it's, so easy. it's so easy to quit nowadays. We have a, a blink society, a short attention span society. We're all guilty of it. 
if things aren't going our way immediately, we just throw up our hands and go do something else or hit the reset button. Um, I remember playing in the NFL for Mike Tomlin uh, in Tampa, who, who had a big impact on me. And he told me he had uh, daughters and sons, and he loved them all. He said, those daughters I'm sending to college, those sons, they better get good at something because they're going to pay for their own school with a scholarship. Um, I think that's true of daughters and sons. Uh, but, you know, I, I want to instill in our guys a desire to be great at something, to matter in this world, to be a person that matters. Uh, the only way to do that is through hard work, deciding what you want to be good at, um, not taking no for an answer and, and working as hard as you have to to, to make your mark and, and be the type of person that makes a difference. Coach, we're, you and I, uh, a couple of years ago, we hiked across the Grand Canyon with a couple of friends of ours from the rim to rim one day. And your ankle, which should have been operated on five years ago, <laughs> you still haven't had it operated on. When you decide, yeah, Cap, I'm going to go, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll hike across the Grand Canyon with you in one day. Down the south rim, across the canyon, up the north rim, right? 26 miles, one day. Your ankle is the size of a grapefruit as we hike up the north rim. There's no, no complaining on you, no, oh, my ankle hurts, no, ju just nothing. I could see your ankle. I mean, it's the size of a grapefruit. It's not normal. And I see you just putting left foot, right foot, left foot, right foot, left foot, right foot up the entire north rim of the Grand Canyon. What? Campy, I know you too well. If I'd have been a complainant, I never would have heard the end of it from you. <laughs> well, well, I don't know about, well, you're probably right. But the do you think, where does that toughness come from because when somebody says hey define define coach frost in, in in a word my first word is tough so and and i love toughness i respect toughness i try to instill it in my in my children where does that toughness come from to hike up the grand canyon across the grand canyon with an ankle the size of a grapefruit and not complain once and not only not complain but share positive attitude and share positive energy with the rest of our buddies who are hiking across it with us. Well, it flatters me that you say all that. Um, I don't know, man. I've always just been one for a challenge. I think the more that you put yourselves in those situations, the more that you realize that your greatest accomplishments and greatest sense of satisfaction with yourself is when you overcome great things. Um, yeah, I got surgery a month and a half later and had a bone spur the size of my little finger taken out of my ankle. Uh, so it, it wasn't fun. Right at the end of that, I remember we all took a shower and in the gas station where the Gatorade was at the top of the North Rim was about a half a quarter, a half quarter and a half mile away. And I started limping over to the gas station, had two different cars stop and ask me if I was OK. <laughs> uh, so I was embarrassed, but you know, overcoming something, achieving something, there's no greater satisfaction. And I think the love of that feeling 
uh, is what pushes me through and almost makes you enjoy the pain and the suffering that it takes to get to those uh, achievements. Yeah, totally. What would you consider then, Scott, to be the greatest adversity you've faced in your life? It doesn't have to be physical necessarily. Well, everybody faces different things. There's been some personal things I've gone through as an athlete. Um, Nebraskans know this story well, but Nebraska had been 25-0 and 0 in 1994 and 1995, and then I took over as the quarterback in 96, and we had an awful year. We went 11-2, and two. Um, but that was a failure around here um, at that point. That's what we're trying to get Nebraska football back to. Um, being honest, I was about the most hated person in the state of Nebraska because uh, pra praise and blame is all the same. It's usually phony, but that's just how it works. The quarterback and the head coach take get most of the praise and take most of the criticism. Um, that probably the low point of that, I remember walking into an accounting class at the university and the, the school paper couldn't have been meaner to me. And when you walk in amongst all your peers and there's uh, newspaper articles just berating you laying on the floor around all the other students. Uh, that, that was a hard time for me. Um, but in those situations, you gotta, you gotta say to yourself, I'm either fighting back or I'm giving up. And uh, that's where if you've trained yourself to keep fighting and keep pushing through, and then when you find yourself in those situations, uh, there's no other response that comes into your mind no other solution other than to just work harder and, and get through it. You know, coach, it reminds me because getting back to my, my son and doing some of these things that we are doing right now, uh, that get shot out on Twitter or some of the other social media platforms. He'll ask me, you know, Hey daddy, can we go see how many likes you have? And I always tell him, no, we're not going to see how many likes we have. Because if we see how many likes we have, that means that it matters to me. And it matters to me when people say bad things about me. And who I care about and what they say to me is your mother, my wife, you and your sister. But that comes with some maturity, though. To be able to tune out the noise, the comments, the praise and blame of others. What have you done to, to help you with that in the coaching career? Yeah, that comes with perspective in my mind too, Cap. That's the that's the environment that kids are raised in now. You know, for me personally, um, I only have one judge, and that's my creator, and that's the way that I look at it. Uh, but in regards to the desire to get likes on social media, I, I always tell guys – if there's people that you wouldn't go to to ask advice, then you shouldn't care what they say. And most of the people that are liking things on social media are giving positive or negative comments on social media. They're not people that you'd go to for advice. So worrying about what they think or say uh, shouldn't even come into your mind. Um, there's a big difference between what people think of you and what you really are. Um, and those two things are never going to be parallel. And who we are as a man or as a person is a lot more important than people's perception of us. That's right. Yeah. I talk to my children about it all the time that 
reputation is what people think you are. Your character is who you are. Let's make sure we stay focused on our character more than our reputation. Um, coach, That's on that, bring it around, because you always say the same thing, but right? a lot better way. <laughs> Hardly, coach. With that said, uh, when you talk about somebody's character, I'd like to share a story about you with with the audience. There's very few people who've ever heard me say this. My wife being one of them because she heard me relate it when I came home from our trip to South Africa together. Uh, it was 2015, spring of 2015. Uh, Coach Frost and I took a trip to South Africa. We went Great Way shark diving down there together. We did a whole lot of hiking in South Africa and just had a general great time when we were there. On one of those days when we were on vacation, uh, we went to a winery called Spear. Spear is one of the bigger wineries in South Africa. It's right outside of Cape Town. Coach Frost and I went there uh, to, to check it out. They've got a, a, a bird of prey exhibit as part of that winery, which is really why we were going there. But then when we decided, well, hey, the winery's right there. We'll go check out the winery too. We went inside and we bought a uh, this wine tasting thing off the menu where we tried, I don't know, eight or 10 wines from the winery and a meat and cheese plate that went with it. As you can imagine, Coach Frost and I killed the meat. I think, I don't know if anybody touched the cheese, but we killed the meat that was on the plate. But a South African woman, a black South African woman, uh, grew up in apartheid, uh, was now still there. She was our server. She was our waitress that day. And she sat down with Coach Frost and I uh, to tell us about the wines. Coach Frost and I, we quickly told her that neither one of us are, are, are big wine drinkers. Uh, well, this is a good time because Coach Frost, we just lost Coach Frost, so I'll, I'll continue here while he gets connects back on. But we, we uh, neither Coach Frost or I were big wine drinkers. And... Uh, instead, we would just like to talk to her about what it's like to live and grow up in South Africa. And she was telling the story that right now she listens. I'm sorry, she 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 lives with her husband, her two adult children and their families all in one home. And she was the only person in that home that had a job. And she was supporting as a waitress her husband both her children and their families off of that one job as a waitress in the winery. She spent two hours with Coach Frost and I at our table, just discussing growing up in apartheid, etc. And we go to leave. And as we go to leave, she brings the bill. And Coach Frost, as he always does, jumps on the bill and grabs it. And doesn't say anything to me. But I see him. I look at him as we're picking our stuff up to leave. Uh, he signs the bill. And the bill, this is South Africa, uh, you know, five years ago. So all of that that we did was it maybe cost us and the things that we were buying. Maybe it was $50 that day. Coach Frost, when he goes to leave, and I just look at it as I'm leaving, 
Coach Frost leaves a $400 tip. Signs his name, puts it down, and walks out. Doesn't even say anything to me. If I didn't turn back and look at it, I wouldn't even know this. Pays $400 tip, signs it, walks out. And just leaves, and we leave quickly. So she doesn't even have a chance to, to say thank you for that. So when Coach Frost is talking about reputation versus character, reputation being what other people think of you, character is who you are. When I think a character in Coach Frost's character, I don't think of the wins, the Coach of the Year awards, the the conference championships. I think about Coach Frost. I think about Coach Frost signing his name to a $50 bill and leaving a $400 tip. That's Coach Frost's character. Cap, you got me? I do have you. And uh, Sorry about that. I'm glad I missed that story. <laughs> <laughs> Coach, I was talking about our time at Spear and the huge tip you left for the lady, the woman who spent that time with us talking about Africa, South Africa and growing up there. And I remember you and I leaving and you and I both saying, man, that was an education that we just received from that lady. That was an awesome. That was one of my of all we, we hiked mountains. We went great white shark diving down there. I mean, just had a great time right in South Africa. That was one of the coolest experience, if not our my best experience I had down there with you. Yeah, Cappy, there's people everywhere that can use our help. All we have to do is open our eyes and look for them. Um, you know, our nation isn't perfect. There's a lot of things we need to fix. I think recent events have illustrated that. There's a lot of ways we can get better and a lot of troubling things in our past. Uh, but traveling overseas and seeing the way things are in some other places uh, makes me grateful and, and makes me know that I'm blessed to live here. And uh, again, that you don't have to look very far around every corner. There's somebody that could use a hand and use some help. And I, we just have to keep our eyes open and have a servant's heart so that we can take advantage of those opportunities when they're in front of us. Well, coach, you do it in your own actions. Now, with that said, Coach, as, as it pertains to uh, – you're probably at this point had it up to here at answering questions about COVID-19 and your own student-athletes, and I know you're doing everything you can, and, and because you guys are doing everything you can, why Nebraska has such low numbers, positive test numbers. Um, but, but So I'm, gonna, I'm not going to discuss that, but I, I, as far as the social issues that are, are facing our country right now, but I would like to talk about you as, a, as the leader of the Nebraska football team uh, as it pertains to social injustice. Wh what do you feel like, uh, what are you all doing as the leader of your organization to help address, address it? The first place I always look is is myself and what I can do. Um, the best thing that I can do, not the only thing that I can do, the best thing I can do is make sure there's an environment at the University of Nebraska where everybody feels equal, everybody feels welcome. Um, nobody feels any discrimination. 
Um, we work as hard as we can to try to achieve that. I want my players to be in an environment where they can flourish on the field and off, become good men, become good students, become good fathers someday. Uh, we don't care where they're from, what they look like. We want everybody to have that experience. Uh, I think I can control what I can control. Uh, and, and hopefully our program can be an example to other people around the state and beyond. Yeah. Coach, how about yourself? Growing up in Wood River, Nebraska, how diverse a community was it? And uh, from a racial equality perspective, what did what did you learn during through sports? Well, how did sports help you look at race maybe any differently or your family, your parents? What were the impacts of those things on you? Well, Wood River wasn't that diverse. Um, you know, some of my best friends were of Hispanic descent. Um, one of my best receivers were two brothers. Or two brothers were my best receivers. That is Zavala's that were Hispanic and still good friends. And there was a bunch of others. I actually spent second through fifth grade though in Palestine, Texas, and East Texas, uh, which was a lot more diverse. Um, I have a lot of stories about that probably don't have time to share them about my dad uh, sticking up for and helping kids regardless of background. And, and that taught me a lesson. So again, going back to my father, uh, yeah. just quickly cap talking to our players on our campus, not saying Nebraska's perfect or our program's perfect or our university's perfect, but we've talked to a lot of our guys, tried to have as many discussions as we can about some of the things happening. And it's really done my heart a lot of good to hear a number of our, our black players tell me that, you know, I would ask them, have you felt discrimination or racism in Nebraska? And uh, a few of them have said to me that no coach, uh, I've never felt anything like that here. Um, Nebraska people are so nice. And, and that's not to say it's never happened or that it won't happen, but it makes me proud to be a Nebraskan to hear them say that. You know, I was a defensive back in the NFL and probably one of the few white guys in the NFL playing defensive back at that time. Um, when you're on a football team, it's all about teammates. I imagine the military is the same. Um, so to some degree, I think football players can be kind of shielded from the problems uh, that the rest of the country has. Uh, but football, again, can be an example because I, I know on our team, um, doesn't matter what you look like, where you're from, you're a teammate first. And uh, I, I think that that example uh, could be adopted by a lot of people. And, and if we had a whole country feeling that way, we'd be in better shape. Man, isn't that the truth? And yeah, coach, you're right. You know, it's, it's interesting. We had Travis Daigle on a coffee with cap a couple weeks ago and Travis is a teammate of us at the program. And he was a, he's a black guy from, from Houston and was an army, uh, special forces, a team member, just an impressive guy got his engineering degree from the University of Houston. I'll go on and on about Travis. Anyway, I asked Travis, Travis, people ask me all the time, is there racism in the military? And I quickly go, oh no, there's no racism in the military. And I go, but then, you know, now I look back on it and I go, well, yeah, maybe you don't see it because yeah, you're a white male. And I said, did, did you experience that? And he said, it was interesting because Travis basically, and we've had a bunch of conversations about this and I'm, I'm putting word, I'm just kind of regurgitating what Travis told me was, you know, Eric, I never experienced anything close to racism in special forces and, and in the infantry. I, I never saw it. But what he's talked to me about before is that in other units, he's had other 
black friends who have said, yeah, well, this happened or that happened in my unit. And that's why I think it's very, uh, I would share with everybody that to just say, well, the military is, is racist or, or the military isn't racist or in football, it's not, there, it's, there's no racism. There's no, no, it, I think the big difference is, is on really good teams with really good leaders and really good teammates, there probably isn't those issues. And on bad teams with bad leaders, whether that's the military, athletics, the certain police units, there is. Um, that's not because of the person. That's because of the, again, to your point, us being leaders and teammates. And uh, we have a great need to be great team leaders and great teammates like we've never had before. Yeah, Coach, I, I agree. And I'm not, not, I'm not so naive to think it doesn't exist. Um, also, from my perspective, you know, being the, uh, a white guy from Nebraska, I probably don't see all of it. What I do know is I see our team functioning together real well. I see guys of all backgrounds and races hanging out together and being best friends on our team. And, and again, a team environment provides more opportunity for that to see other people for who they are, not what they look like. Um, you know, I'm sure it's not perfect on our team or anywhere else, but that, that team environment, whether it's special forces or uh, college athletics uh, provides an opportunity to get know, to know people of other backgrounds a lot better, uh, see them for who they are and appreciate them. Uh, and, and that's why I think th those can be great examples for how we should all uh, function and flourish in our society. Yeah, you said something really interesting when you talked about getting to know people, right? Getting to know people, developing relationships. And athletics does uh, afford us, like the military does, it affords us a great opportunity. It makes it almost easy. It gives us opportunities to, to, to develop relationships with people who did not don't look like us, did not grow up where we grew up. Outside of those environments, People just need to make an effort to do so, though. That's it. Most discrimination, in my opinion, is born out of ignorance. Um, ignorance and not being able to see the, the beauty in all of God's creation, uh, the beauty in all people, and appreciating them for it. And um, the more we can get to know other people and fight that ignorance, I think the better we'll all be. Yeah. Coach, I'm going to – I'd like you to uh, – I'm going to – just in closing, I'm going to let Coach go because I know that uh, Coach Frost is out with a couple of buddies today, and they're about to go get medieval on some trees that they're cutting down on on, on some house lots. So they're going to go become one with some chainsaws today. Uh, and, and I don't want to keep you from, from manual labor. It does. It's going to make me feel better knowing – uh, that you are out doing manual labor in the hot Nebraska sun today. So I want you to go get after it and not just have your friends cut trees down. But you we're mentioned good, we're getting a good work, but I feel guilty because they're already working and I'm sitting here talking to you. So I'm itching <laughs> to get out there. <laughs> I'll let you go. Coach, I'd like you to, to talk. You mentioned it a couple of times. I'd, I'd give you the opportunity. You and I having spent so much time together and, and alone time together, uh, I, I know how important faith is to you. Your faith is to you. Um, 
why is it important? How does it how does it affect you? How, how does it guide you as as a father, as a coach, in your daily life? Well, it's first, and I think everybody has to have something that's first, uh, whatever it is for them. I, I was raised to believe, uh, and my faith is is the most important thing to me. Uh, and the more often I can live that way, I think the more successful I've been and the more successful I'll be. Um, but that's the way I try to live. And nobody's perfect, Cap. We're all going to make mistakes. Uh, but it, it, in order to be great, I think you really got to know who you are. And without knowing what the bedrock of your foundation is, um, I don't think you're going to know who you are. And and that, that just puts you in danger of just drifting through life without really having a purpose or a mission. Coach, as you know, I live on a farm, a hundred acre farm here in Connecticut. I would just like to point out to you that we hope my wife and I, Melissa and I, Axel, Anastasia and I, we hope you and Ashley and your family uh, come and visit us. I promise you that when you do, I will not force you to conduct any manual labor when you're here. So I hope to see you this summer, if, if whether that be here or in Nebraska, I hope to see you soon. But thanks so much for joining us this morning. I really appreciate it, buddy. Cappy, you and the guys you work with are our heroes. Um, you know, we in sports like to draw a lot of metaphors to what you guys do in service. Uh, but you guys are doing the real thing. Uh, and I, I thank you for all the experiences I've had with you. Uh, my day-to-day, -day, a month later, I don't forget those, those moments. But, you know, hiking the presidential range with you in New Hampshire and getting in great white shark cages and hiking the Grand Canyon, um, that those are lasting memories. And that, that's why I love you, man, being able to do those things with you and push myself and, and do things I'm going to remember for a lifetime. So thank you for who you are. Frosty, thanks. That means a lot to me. It makes me proud. You make me better. I want to leave you. I just pulled up a note from Grandel Starling. I'd just like you to think of Mr. and Mrs. Starling's son. Mr. and Mrs. Starling's son uh, I had the honor and privilege to serve with as Force Reconnaissance Marine. He lost his life in the helicopter crash that I and the rest of my teammates were involved in that you saw the video. You're very familiar with the video and that incident so many years ago. But they tuned in this morning uh, to listen to you. And uh, you just don't want, as a parent, you can't even imagine, right? You can't even imagine the loss that they suffered losing their son. Um, but now, one of the few things that we can do is make sure they're not forgotten. And I just wanted to pull up Mr. and Mrs. Starling's comment here. Obviously, I appreciate their tuning in. But I just asked you, Coach Frost, I'd ask the listeners, I'd ask your buddies that you're cutting trees down with to remember their son and everything he sacrificed and everything they sacrificed for us that allows us to do things like we're doing today, that we get to do things like go great way, shark diving and everything else. So uh, Mr. and Mrs. Starling, we're thinking about you and your son is not forgotten. Coach Frost, thanks so much, buddy. Great to see you. Enjoy your time with the chainsaw. It's an honor. I'm going to get to work. Thanks, Cappy. Thanks, buddy.